Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Well, hello there, Bill. Aloha. <laughs> Hi, Bobby. Uh, looks like you're not in your office here in Rochester. I am not. I am at a wonderful Mayo Clinic sponsored conference in Hawaii. I am one of the course directors. And so we're here slowly getting back to normal and having a face-to-face -face meeting with wow. a lot that of must... proper COVID precautions, of course. Got it. Yeah, well, that must be pretty gratifying, I think, to actually be doing mm -hmm. something like that again, something that seems yes. so routine and normal pre-COVID. It's really wonderful. We have, of course, being in our COVID world, it's a virtual hybrid conference. So we have about half the people here, but we can only fit so many people in the conference room. So they're all spaced six feet apart. And of course, everyone's masked. They also had to be vaccinated and tested before coming. But then we have half about the same number virtual. So it's interesting. It's interesting commentary on how we're slowly getting back to normal, but we're in this still COVID world. So how do you get people face-to-face -face again safely? Yeah, exactly. And safely and in a way that meets whatever are the guidelines or rules, mm -hmm. I guess, of, of where you're gathering and the, and the group that's organizing the gathering both, right? So yes. you're in Hawaii, and I have a feeling Hawaii is probably a little bit different than Minnesota and other parts of the mainland U.S. in terms of how they're managing COVID. Has that been your experience? Absolutely. So besides the difference with not having sub-zero temperatures, like it was <laughs> minus one when I flew out of Minnesota, you're right. Hawaii being an island, of course, they have a bit more restrictions in general. But yeah, we either we all had to register with a safe Hawaii travel app, and then we had to show that we were either vaccinated or had a negative test. And the negative test had to be PCR specifically by a number of select providers. So definitely shows the role of testing, especially if you're not vaccinated, that was a requirement. Yeah. And it's interesting that it is has specific vendors that you have to think or, or test providers, I guess, that you have to go to. And I, I think that's one of the things as we look ahead here, it's great. I'll be traveling actually next month on you know i'm the chair of the american clinical laboratory association board of directors and we decided to have her in person meeting next month first week of march in washington dc uh, we have a vendor that will help us with vaccine credentialing and those sorts of things but it just speaks to the fact that every association or every organizer will have some different rules and mm -hmm. then another thing we're seeing now as we come out of the omicron surge is different parts of the country and certainly different parts of the globe have different requirements for entry or for doing things once you're in the country as well. There's some cities you have to have proof of vaccination to go get to a restaurant. I think it's one of the things that people are really going to have to contend with here coming out of the pandemic at this phase and kind of living with the pandemic and hopefully coming through it is we're going to see a lot of variation between different parts of the country or between different organizations that, that people are going to have to learn to manage as we go forward. Yeah, I agree. And it's something we've covered before on the podcast is that winding down from a pandemic 
or any type of emergency is actually a bit more challenging than winding up for it. How do you get back to normal? How do you deal with the psychological impacts that people have had for, you know, either being in quarantine, losing a loved one? There's just so much involved in winding down from something like this. And there is going to be variability. Different states are going to have different tolerance levels for risk. And possibly there's going to be different levels of virus circulating in different parts of the country. So hopefully each state and each country is making decisions based on what the virus is actually doing in their part of the world. There may be some parts of the world that still have a lot of circulating virus. And then if anyone goes to visit those places, you're going to have to have more precautions in place. Yeah, there's three variables, right? There's the virus itself and what it's doing. There's the whatever the societal requirements, whether it's a private or with the state or governmental. And then there's individual experience. You mentioned that you were having a hybrid meeting. I think we're going to have to really be sensitive to the fact that different people will have different, have had different experiences and have different comfort level here as we come through. That's why like the hybrid meeting that you're having. I mean, those are a lot of discussions, plus just physical restrictions, because again, if you need social distancing still, it really limits the capacity of a lot of the rooms that you would use for these. I do want to get back to you as a, I know you're at this course, and it's one of the things that I've seen come up is that what does endemic phase mean? And I think going back to your point, endemic phase doesn't mean we get to stop thinking about it. We know there's other illnesses that you specialize in that when you travel, you have to be sensitive to because you're going to a part of the world where they're endemic and you have to take special precautions. And it sounds like you're thinking this might be the same for COVID. I think that is going to be the case. I don't know if you would go to a travel clinic before traveling for COVID specifically, but there may be specific requirements based on where you're going, where you need to get a test, you need to get a vaccine. There's lots of parts of the world where you have to get, for example, a yellow fever vaccine and you should take malaria prophylaxis. So I think this is something we're going to have to consider, Bill, going forward in this endemic phase as it becomes endemic. Yep. And the other thing, you're right, and it's something we're just going to have to learn to live with as we go forward here. I think the other piece of it is as we go forward is that there certainly is the hope that Omicron is going to be the last variant that causes a pandemic surge across the globe. No (laughs) way we can be certain. And, and, And the big question now is, with Omicron and the huge demand, we saw greater demand for testing with Omicron than we had in any other phase of the pandemic, yeah. which is it's a bit mind boggling and still a lot of need for hospitalization. Now, thankfully, not as much in terms of acute or intensive care, but still a lot of hospitalization. I think the other one thing debate going on now is how much do we need to leave in place at least for 2022 to be prepared because it was a lot for the labs. As you know, as the head of the micro division here, in DLMP, we had to move staff back again into the testing labs after we let people go. And this is really difficult for people. I think that's the other thing that's kind of going to be ongoing is how much leave of what's called so-called warm infrastructure, just things in place to help us manage a surge. And if we do, at a time when we're all really busy, who pays for that? Is it going to be the federal government? Or who's going to support that? So I think that's another thing we're going to see really hotly debated here over the next few months. Yeah, it's been interesting. Of course, the lab is always about preparedness and quality. That's what we live by. We also, though, tend to operate very lean. 
And so having instruments around that we aren't using, but that we might need to use in the future is not something we usually do. Having stockpiles of reagents, we've actually tried to get away from that and be very lean and just have what we need on hand. But with the supply chain issues, we've actually validated backups for our backups so that we always have options in case we can't get one particular reagent. And that may stay in the future. We may have little stockpiles of reagents and instruments for a while, just in case we need to use them, because we don't really know what's gonna happen this fall. I hope that COVID will just become uh, endemic. I shouldn't just say just, because you know that's still gonna mean a lot of death and suffering, but hopefully we won't see big surges again, but we can't predict that. We don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, and that's something we really have to be prepared for. And really every lab that does COVID testing, of course, it's just a matter of scale. If you're in a community hospital and you have platforms that are doing COVID, you'll have to think about it, I'm sure, because that's what we saw with this most recent surge with that. Yes, a lot more testing capacity in hospital labs than in March of 2020. That's for darn sure. But still in all, with the way this virus is, can spread, it can overwhelm quickly local resources. So mm-hmm. this is something we're going to add another part of the, thing, of the solution that we're going to have to work on together to really get at the root cause of the problem. I will say on a positive note, we've learned how flexible we can be when we need to be. We've pulled people from all over the laboratories for our COVID response and people really chipped in. Now, of course, they're getting tired and there's, you know, things we need to talk about with that. But everyone wanted to step up. We had people volunteering from all over the labs to come to the COVID testing labs. And we've learned that we're not just siloed in our own divisions. People that are in different parts of the lab, transfusion medicine, chemistry, can come and become a microbiologist for a while and we can train them and get them competent to perform COVID testing. So that was something that I think we really saw uh, help break down some silos actually. Yeah, we need to really take to heart to your point. People continue to step up even two years Mm -hmm. in. It is harder, I mean, just because we're tired and we've been dealing with this for a long time. And I think if there's one thing for me, is we just to say thank you to anyone that's listening to this that has done their part. Everyone's done something. There's no one in healthcare, really, many walks of society, haven't done something to help us all manage COVID. So I thank you for taking the time. I know it's early for you there. So you you still are (laughs) stepping up and doing our podcast. And I know a lot of people out there have really stepped up. And we might not see as many people putting out signs that you were all heroes, but you all are. And uh, just to say thank you to everybody that's done so much and continue to do so much to help us get through this. I would echo that. And and I would also say thank you to you, Bill, as a hematopathologist, immunologist, and the chair of our department and our fearless leader. Here you are a COVID expert now. So um, everyone's, everyone's stepping up and doing their part. And I also just say thank you to everyone. Well, thank you, Bobby. And, and your quote, I don't know if I'm fearless, in fact, uh, it makes me think of a quote, and one of uh, the good one to end on uh, was uh, they're interviewing a D-Day veteran from Great Britain, and he said, "You young men were fearless. You got out of those, and you ran out to that beach. It took such courage." And he said, "Actually, we were scared to death, but we ran out anyways, and that's what made it yeah. courage." But there's one thing: is this virus is is the virus, but it teaches us about humanity, and there's still a lot that's good about us, and and something we need to really celebrate. I agree completely. Thanks for that inspiring information and the quote to end with. No, thank you, and. It gives us something to talk. Well, well, I'm sure we'll have something to talk about next week for sure. Of course. Always. Okay. (laughs) All right. See you later, Belle. Yeah. Enjoy Hawaii. Thank you.
Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.